0: Good evening, citizens of the world. This is one of your hosts, Soul Man, with my other host, LZ. How you doing? And this is the Between the Sticks podcast. Um, this is our first episode where we kind of go over a little bit of everything here. Gaming, um, what's going on in, in pop culture, geek culture, kind of around the, the nation and the world... Um, maybe sprinkling some sports there, here and there, every once in a while, um, but we'd like to kind of go over everything that's important to us. Um, uh, we got a big show for you guys this week, uh, a lot of exciting things, um, so we'll just kind of jump in to our intros right now. Um, LZ, what are you, what are you playing right now?
1: Uh, still pretty heavily engaged in Red Dead Online and Outer Worlds is pretty much consuming all the rest of my time. And that's pretty much it right now, still spackling in a little bit of, uh, since I'm mostly on Xbox and I've got my P- PS4, I'm trying to get back into Last of Us and some of those other games. I'm just kind of hitting them and trying to keep things varied and touch on a little bit of everything so it keeps my excitement so I don't get burned out of them yeah. all the
0: time. Um, so yeah, that's. I mean, I'm doing a lot of the same Outer Worlds is consuming a lot of my time right now Um, actually I would say that's the majority of what I'm playing Um, sprinkling a little bit of Horizon Zero Dawn in there because I haven't I just got a PS4 recently so still trying to get through that Um, I've started Spider-Man I've uh, started and almost finished the old Ratchet and Clank or the new Ratchet and Clank remake Um, and I've got a bunch of other stuff Kingdom Hearts is still there uh, that I haven't finished yet still playing XCOM uh, so my library is full at the moment, but since we're both playing Outer Worlds, uh, we'll kind of touch on a little bit. Um, I got a little bit further in the story last time we talked. Um, I've effectively gotten through a lot of Groundbreaker. I've made it onto—I've um, unlocked the Monarch ports, both both docking ports. Um, I've gone to the, the Space Rock. I want to say it's Scylla. Something like that? Sure. Um, yeah, it's a meteor. Yeah, something it's like something that. similar to that. There was a quest where I had to find, um, like, a, uh, a, he was like an intergalactic mailman, kind of. Um, he had, had something to deliver to someone on Groundbreaker. Um, there was a science weapon there. And I've also been to the little uh, relay station um, for one of the, the quests for someone on the Groundbreaker as well. So, I've been, I think, everywhere you can go except Mark. Um,
1: Everywhere that's not locked. pretty Yes, much
0: and from what I've heard, you can't go to the other places regardless. Whether that's being teased for DLC or it's just there to kind of fill the world out a little bit. Uh, both the Gas Giants and Typhon uh, and um, the one that's closest to the sun, the Mercury-like planet. It starts with an H. I can't remember what it's called. I just haven't been on the game enough recently to remember it. Um, but from what I've heard, those four planets, you can't go to them anyway.
1: Well, it makes sense because it's a gas giant. I mean, it's the same thing as Cloud City from Star Wars. You're not going to be able to go into a gas giant. It's just literally a giant ball of space gas. Right. And So you're going to end up with a Cloud City type thing where there's going to be a spaceport or some sort of city that's docked outside it as its own station or yeah, and ship for something like that.
0: I think that would be a great uh, – I think that's a great way to do some DLC if they build uh, – if they say, you know, like something's being built like an observation deck or something like that. Um, I know there's speculation about going to Typhon because that one is more of an ice planet way far out there. Um, And I know there's a couple people have speculated that there's some logs about um, being frozen and things like that um, and unthawing. I think that those logs are more towards saying that um, because they said it's like a two-year journey out there from from where you're at. So from Monarch and Terra 2, it's a two-year journey out to Typhon. What I thought the unthawing thing was is they have to go back into hibernation in order to get all the way out there because it's such a far journey. It's not necessarily making point to it being like an ice planet. But I could see us having to go out there because it it's not a gas giant. It's something you can physically step onto and, and – You know, kind of getting gross in that a little bit.
1: It could be. That could also just be where they decide to take the next Outer Worlds game for Outer Outer Worlds Two. True. Two-year journey. That's a two-year gap, and that's perfectly good for them to make it have have a nice jump-off point from one story to the next. And if you get into a little bit of the lore from the terminals and the other stuff that's spread out through some of the NPCs, there are other non-board colonies out there, or other other uh, other colonies and systems that are run by other organizations that aren't the board. So we very well could end up dealing with something entirely brand new and something different uh, that may or may not even be affected by the outcomes of this story which would kind of fit into Obsidian's uh, repertoire with the Fallout systems because they're all loosely related but they're all spaced out far enough both regionally where they take place and throughout time that everything could loosely fit into the same timeline regardless of what choices and decisions you make and it really all your your, all your choices and actions will be impactful to your personal stories but it wouldn't really affect anything in the universe overall which is still solid for
0: you yeah and I think uh, I think that's kind of the way they're going Um, I'd like to see them do kind of what Mass Effect did um, I would like to see them um, have the next games in the franchise play off your choices and your decisions from the the past ones. Um, it was I thought Mass Effect did that really well. It's I think it's one of the only games that really did that where it's taken saves from the last, you know, the last couple games and brought it over. And really played on that. And that was something that I thought was really cool. I think Outer Worlds has kind of got that same uh, ability to do that with all the decision-making that you have. Um, by the way, the planet that uh, we couldn't think of, the one that's closest to the sun, is called Hephaestus. Um, and I think I think that's where they're going to... If they do DLC, if they do story DLC, somewhere where it's going to plant you, I think that's where you're going to go. Because it's a planet we didn't see they i've read multiple logs in in the game that say it was colonized you can set foot on it it's not too hot to 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 survive on um it's essentially you know the place i think that I just think it's obvious that that's kind of where they're going to go with it. I think it's the easiest place to go to. Um, I think it's a, they've got a good entry uh, for just kind of plopping you down, having like a side story. And I think you could have a nice story that doesn't really affect too much of the overall world and um, the main story with what you're doing. If they just say, hey, something's going on on Hephaestus, um, you know, you can go there and take care of that. And then, you know, the the decisions you had – from your main story, really aren't going to affect anything else in that realm too much.
1: Yeah, if you send it to a new planet or a new system, that's definitely the way to go. The other thing is, a lot of these starter planets like Terra 2, Groundbreaker, Little Meteor, like Scylla and stuff like that, these are all areas you can go to relatively quickly in the game, but are not locked out by story progress or you know potential future DLC. Um, but they are smaller locations, and you get to go to a couple different sub colonies on those planets and moons easier thing to do is make it a bigger explorable area you add in new little sub exploration areas kind of like what obsidian did with new vegas instead of having just the mojave or instead of just having you know your first two colonies uh rosewater and edgewater uh then you get to explore all these different other areas. Because if it if, if it is something that's roughly the size of Earth and you only got these two small areas that you're exploring, which are roughly going to be the size of Canada, you might as well get to explore the other 87% of it with new towns, new colonies, new this, new yeah. that, or just unexplored areas of that newly terraformed place. So there's lots of places they could go into that with some of the smaller, already accessible areas, just making it okay, well, instead of having this one hub, now there's, like, five or six other smaller areas or a bigger area or, you know, there's lots of different options for that moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think... uh, I thought it was really cool because I didn't... I just didn't expect... um, So when I got the quest originally for Sam, um, his quest revolves around Roseway uh, or Rosewater. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Um, But anyway, I looked on the map and I couldn't find this place. um, And... It was really cool to find out that that was another section of Terra 2. Not a lot of games do that anymore, where you've got a planet, and then you've got multiple different locations on that planet that you can kind of move around and go to. So I noticed Monarch was the same way, because I have the regular landing pad, and then I've got the one that they deem as like super dangerous, uh, I Honestly, truthfully, I thought about going there first, but I was like, you know what? Let's just take my time. This is the first playthrough. I kind of want to see what's going on. I'll go to the regular one first, um, and then I'll kind of head to the dangerous one after I've kind of got my bearings and stuff, because I heard Monarch. You, you told me Monarch is huge. Yeah, um, if you're just
1: walking around on foot, which really, you don't have any other choice. There's no other means of travel other than fast travel, which so you have to huff it to begin with to really unlock those travel points, but... Compared to all the other games, it is absolutely massive, probably five or six times just from what I've looked at, the size of a, of the uh, other maps that you've seen through Terra 2 and Groundbreaker and whatever else. I mean, it's just massive.
0: Yeah, and that's what I heard kind of coming in. Uh, the bulk of the game is on Monarch. It kind of picks up when you get to Monarch, um, which is good because I really... I I feel like there hasn't really been a dip in my play uh, since I started. Now I feel like there's not uh, a ton of combat scenarios going on. Obviously, I mean, Groundbreaker is, you know, it's it's a town for the most part, so it's pretty subdued when it comes to anything combat wise. There's a couple um, pockets of marauders here and there in the in the back and um, you know underneath when you go do a couple fetch quests, but. Um, you know, nothing that you're going to constantly run into or anything like that. So, um, and Edgewater's really, uh, I mean, it's got pockets as well. For the most part, you can travel most of that terrain without getting into too much. So, um, I'm kind of excited to get to Monarch. Uh, things pick up a little bit. You know, I think the story is going really well. Um, I, I like where I'm at. Um, I like the amount of decisions I've had. Um, and I'll be honest, one of the things that I really have decided that I really like about this game, and I'm usually not into that, is, uh, the companions. I'm not a companion guy. Fallout three, Fallout four, didn't really use companions a whole lot. Um, Fallout New Vegas, same. Um, I'll tell you what the only fault, the only companions I ever used in the Fallout series, truthfully, were uh, Sharon from Fallout three, uh, Fox from Fallout three, Boone from Fallout New Vegas, and Dog from Fallout four. That's really it. I'm not a big companion guy. I I don't like, uh, I don't like them kind of hindering me. I don't like watching after them, um, and I'll admit. Uh, I don't – I feel like my companions are always going into downstate in Outer Worlds, which is semi-annoying, um, but I don't feel like they're hindering me at all. You know, I don't feel like they are getting in the way when stealth comes into play. Um, I don't feel like they are, um, you know, in the way when it comes into combat. They're not strafing in front of your bullets or anything like that. Um, and I like it when they interject in conversations. I think that's one of the coolest things that Oblivion has done.
1: They can do that, and, you know, the thing about these companions is they have their own skill trees, and you can give them weapon upgrades, so you can give them the legendary and science weapons that you pick up so they can have better gears. Some of my companions have better gear than I do, and honestly, I'm running the, uh, Vicar and, uh, what's the medic's name?
0: Uh, I just unlocked her, um...
1: But, anyway, I'm running the Medic and the Vicar, and honestly, they're a fantastic tag team, because once you get... One of the perks, uh, it almost, it, it's like a 60 some percent chance of when you use one of your companion uh, uh, attack skills, it will uh, have a 60 percent chance of refilling your other companion's attack skill. So honestly, I'll just spam both of those in combat all the time and just, it knocks down enemies like crazy. And it really makes them pretty effective. Um, which, again, is cool because they have random conversation throughout. You know, exploration and things like that, which is something that we get a little more with stuff that you see from Bioware, talking about you know Mass Effect things like that, with where companions were pretty important to you being able to go out and do things. Um, But they have a little bit of that radiant conversation you get from things like Dragon Age and things, where they would interact with other members of the party and have their own conversations, and certain people get along really well, and some. Right. They hate each other's guts, and it's a really cool thing to have that kind of dynamic as opposed to a Fallout game where you can really only have one companion, sometimes maybe two, and you don't really get that interaction between them. It's just kind of, they chime in whenever you're conversing with another NPC, but not with each other.
0: Right. Um, and so the medic's name is Ellie. Um, so there's Ellie, Felix, Pravati, Vicar Max, Sam, and then... Um, Neoka, I don't have Neoka yet. Uh, she's on Monarch, I'm assuming. Um right now I'm running Pavarti and Sam just cuz um like I said, I'm not big on companions, but I feel like like dogmeat and Fallout 4 or like a robotic companion Sam in the Outer Worlds is going to be um, kind of less... Not not so much in the way. I hate saying in the way, but it's going to be more... It'll feel more organic. Now, Obsidian does a great job of making them feel organic, like having those conversations. It makes it feel like there's actually another player there with you kind of going off of what you're saying.
1: And the other thing is you can, just like in Mass Effect, you can set their follow style. So you can make them follow you super far behind. You can make them defensive only so that they only attack things that attack them. It's not going to be like Skyrim when you're running Lydia is just like... Right there in front of your face, and you can't walk through the door. Or, oh man, Lydia's dead. Now I've lost all that stuff that's out there. Or I have to wait three days for Shadow Mirror to respawn or whatever. Uh, just because that companion's lost, stuck in a cave glitch somewhere, and now I can't find them. I forgot where I put them.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but- so, I mean, I think Obsidian has done a great job. I mean, overall with the game, like I said, I, I haven't... I ha- I'm under 10 hours still. Um, so uh, from what I've played so far, which I've heard is... Um, not the strongest parts of the game. I love it so far. I don't have any complaints really. Um, I mean, there's a couple of little things, but gameplay wise, story wise, lore wise, I like everything I've seen so far, uh, and I think that's the overall consensus from kind of everybody that's had the, got their hands on it this year.
1: And, that, and that's the thing is this is the first solid outing that Obsidian's had on its own as its own independent publisher, where it hasn't been contracted out through somebody else, and. It's a pretty strong outing. Yeah, my only complaint was that the initial story hook wasn't that great uh, in comparison to some other games, but it's their first outing. You gotta give them a pass on that. Because the lore and everything else that you get to experience through the quests and reading through terminals and all that, you know, classic Fallout and Bioware-style Mass Effect kind of lore building that we've become accustomed to in RPGs. Is really really strong if you actually take the time to sit there and read through it and you don't skip through dialogue. And it really makes sense because if you're supposed to be this character that has no knowledge of anything that's going on, why would you why would they take the time to explain why would anybody take the time to explain anything to you, regardless of whether you're a newcomer to that particular town or colony or whatever? Cause in theory, you are already supposed to know all this. But with you being fresh out of hibernation, you're not gonna know any of it, so you're just sitting there absorbing all of it, and that's the most genuine player-to-character experience that I've had in a long time.
0: Yeah, I think it makes you. I think it makes you as the player feel very disconnected from the world. So you kind of have to go in and, and build these relationships and, and read all these logs and kind of figure out what's going on. Um, and I like that. I like that they they kind of did. I mean, it's the same thing that Fallout does essentially, starting off in the vaults and then going off into the, the wasteland. I mean, you, you're a character uh that doesn't know much about the world which is essentially kind of what you as the player start off as now it's a little different when we get to like fallout new vegas and fallout 4 because if you play fallout 3 you, you know what to expect a little bit so i think you know the i've been comparing it to fallout 3 just because fallout 3 is my favorite and i know that's going to get a lot of flack from some people but that's the one i started with that's the one that made me fall in love with games like this um you know that's the one that made me, made me fall in love with fallout essentially Um, But I I just think that, you know, there's so many good comparisons between all the Fallout games in this, Um, you know, not just New Vegas because Oblivion is the one who did that as well. Um, But, I mean, it's got a lot in common with Fallout 3. I mean, they took a lot of stuff, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, they took a lot of stuff that, you know, we all love from the Fallout franchise that Bethesda has kind of pushed off to the side in the last, you know, since Fallout 4 came out uh, that we were all kind of missing. And I think that's been a big home run. I think it's the reason why people were really falling in love with this game
1: well that's the thing is that rpgs in and of themselves everybody has a different I- idea especially developers of what an rpg is i mean you look at what cd project red does with uh the witcher series and that versus you know warner brothers and what they're able to do with all of their subcontractors for games like shadow of mordor shadow of war where it's adapting already established lore and stuff like that is a lot easier where as opposed to you know you get stuff like Bethesda, who's basically become synonymous with what RPG should be through either the Fallout franchise or all of the Elder Scrolls games that we've all taken to be gospel. Uh, so you get these other RPGs and things that are basically like uh, what Assassin's Creed is turning into. It used to be this combat, historical fiction, basically combat simulator with this really cool alternate sci-fi kind of uh storyline to it that was really cool and really dug into the conspiracy theories of the world and that was a really cool niche thing now once you get into origins and odyssey it's becoming more of a how can we push the rpg aspects of this world and really build this out into some sort of new ip which will be interesting to see where that goes in the world but when you go to see what obsidian's done here they've really broken it back down to what the classic rpgs are that everybody really fell in love with in the 80s and 90s great right when video games were really, really taken off in their heyday, and now we get something like that with all these wonderful graphics and developments, and they kind of worked out the system bugs from, you know, what they've seen in the in the system right now, and it's it's really hitting a sweet spot for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the big things that, to say. Uh, the Outer Worlds is it. I haven't seen a lot of bugs at all. Um, I have some, there's some issues with it. Um, every time, like, I cut to a companion, the armor always takes an extra second to to load in. Um, so it's always a bit muddy. But other than that, that's been the biggest, um, that's not even a bug. I mean, that's just a, that's just me running an OG Xbox One still. That's the, that's that issue. Um, so I mean, I, I get it that you're going to have issues like that, but bug wise, I, I mean, there's, there's almost nothing, which is great because... We all know Bethesda's games are generally buggy messes when they release. And that's, I mean, that's just what they are, and it's that's starting to become less and less When accepted. they
1: release, when they update, when a new expansion comes out. Oh, yeah.
0: Re- I mean, recently, that's just how it's been. Fallout 76 has been a mess. Um, but, I mean, even Fallout 4 still has issues. Uh, I think Skyrim still has issues on either the PS3 or the PS4. Um, I believe it's PS3 with save errors. So, I mean, it's just nice to see that, obsidian took the time polished this game up released it as a full title which is something we honestly don't see a whole lot of in 2019 we have this mentality of let's push this to market release it and then once we get it out there we'll fix it as it comes out
1: yeah it's not the annual call of duty release it's not the almost semi-annual every other year assassin's creed drop where it's okay well we've got the infamous uh, Unity face disappearing Ooh. glitch, which has now made its appearance in the new w w e title
0: <laughs> yeah that's uh, uh that's a whole nother issue I mean that's just um
1: but I mean there's all sorts of different glitches and bugs, and there's gonna be things that when you have games with massive and massive amounts of coding and things like th- things like that that yes things are going to be a little rough, things are gonna be a little muddy, and especially when you get brand new games brand new developers, and I say brand new developers just because. Obsidian's done a lot, but they do a lot of it in collaboration. So you can see a lot of the effects of their previous relationship with Bethesda. This is the first thing they've done on their own. Yeah, you got Microsoft backing in them, but this is the first time they had to actually write. And again, this is to my knowledge, I'm not claiming to be an expert at all here, but this is the first time we get to see them stand up on their own. Hey, we made this game from scratch. Yeah. And um, it's it's been a solid, solid performance, solid outing, and you know, there's nothing wrong with making a game wait and making sure that it's perfect when you drop it. We're seeing that with Naughty Dog and all the stuff they were doing with Last of Us 2. We've been waiting for three years. they pushed it back three different times. Witcher 3 had the same thing where they pushed it back to make sure it was tuned out right. And, you know, yeah, certain companies get it and they want to do the thing right. And then there's other companies. And whether or not it's right or wrong, depending on the type of game and the type of system it is, there are things that we can fix as we go, and there are certain things that have to be absolutely hundred percent ready to go as we, as, as we do. You know, and again, that comes to what their quality testing uh, is determined. But so far, nothing to complain about for my and for Outer Worlds. It's, yeah, it's been.
0: And I think I, I think, think when right. uh, I think we're heading towards that culture now, to where um, you're going to start seeing things get delayed. You're going to start seeing companies kind of. Uh, push games back to get them polished. I mean after the last couple of years and some of the releases that you've had um with some of the bugs, Anthem and Fallout 76 being the two, you know, big examples um of games that just weren't ready, weren't finished, uh that companies are pushing out because they're trying to, you know, you know, make a living off something, um uh it's just not gonna work anymore in my opinion. I mean you're gonna have like you said, um Naughty Dog pushed a bunch of stuff back. Ubisoft pushed. I think they pushed everything back from this year. They don't have everything that they're making off of this year is stuff from uh, games before, except for Division Two. But I heard that didn't do really well, which is surprising because I really liked the the first Division game, even though you know there was issues with that. Um, but you know, from from what I know, I didn't play Division Two, um, and I I don't know. Did you Did you get Division Two? I was going to get it. I played the beta, and I was.
1: So I was really interested and really surprised to see the improvements that they made from the first game. The real problem with the first game wasn't that there was really any issue with it at all, except for the fact that they didn't have a roadmap, they didn't have a plan for, you know, post-story. It was just vanilla gameplay and that was it. And the only thing that was left afterwards was running around in the dark zone pvp And uh, from what I can tell with, from what I've seen, granted I haven't bought the game, I haven't played through it, but I've kept an eye to the ground because I really love that Tom Clancy universe and I love the first game. So I was really hoping to see that something would be solid coming out of that. And while it didn't do well initially, mostly because of everybody's hesitation, they've really taken great strides to make sure that that game is something that's lasting and solid. And that's really kind of been Ubisoft's thing is, okay, well, we're going to push this game, but we're also going to push, you know, extra content, DLCs, even if they're small public events and community events that... Okay, these are little things that are going to pop up in your story worlds that you, you'll be able to participate as a community. You'll still be individual and on your own, but it's going to enhance that experience for everybody. And they're really kind of pushing that longevity of the game, which is kind of the same system that, uh, you know, we kind of go back to how Destiny, when EA and Bungie at first talked about it, like, oh, yeah, we're going to support this game for 10 years. And everybody thought, okay, great, we're getting one game for $60.00. And then we're going to get all this DLC and everything for 10 years. This is going to be as great, massive, almost World of Warcraft kind of thing. We're just going to get expansion after expansion after expansion. And then you're like, well, no, we're supporting the franchise through 10 years. So you got Destiny 2, and then you get all of its DLC on top of the DLC from the first game, which wasn't even DLC. It was locked out already there information that they had just decided, we're just going to release it later and gorge people for money and that's not the way to go about it which cd project red all their dlc was free pretty much for the cosmetics and everything like that the story dlc's you know the expansion packs and things like that yeah they did but it was a little it wasn't it wasn't massive 30 40 60 dollar expansions they were 15 20 i think 30 dollars total for the expansion season pass for uh, witcher for two massive massive gameplay expansions
0: yeah, and the two expansions of Witcher are probably some consider Blood and Wine to be better than the the base game. Oh, story wise, it could yeah, have been its own. Yeah, so game. I, I think I think you know you're kind of running into that to where now you're going to get more you're going to get more polished games at launch, and you're going to have companies that support things longer. Um, you know, you saw Bungie and Activision split, and. Now you know Bungie is really kind of. I think they're gonna focus on Destiny two a little bit, but I, I honestly, in the long run, think Destiny three is gonna come out. Destiny two. I'm after after all about the EA that.
1: EA split has just honestly, it's thrived. It, yeah. The, the content, the DLC, everything they're pushing out there is just it's fantastic. I've had people who swore that after they completed everything, would never touch it again, and then once EA departed, and the new expansions came out with Forsaken, they. Jumped right back into it, mostly because, you know, somebody invited him to play and they had some spare time, and now they're back into it full swing every day for two or three hours doing the daily grind just because it's worth it now again.
0: Right, and that's something I'd love to jump back into, but, I mean, it, it's that's the problem with games nowadays. You've got so much stuff coming out, you know, especially this time of the year. It's, it's, it's almost every week, it seems that it's hard to jump back into older games. Like, I'm finding it hard to get through Kingdom Hearts. I'm finding it hard to go back to XCOM. I'm finding it hard to get into Horizon Zero Dawn and things like that because Borderlands just came out last month. Outer Worlds came out uh, this month. We've got uh, Death Stranding coming out tomorrow um, or today, depending on when you listen to this. And then uh, you've also got, you know, Jedi Fallen Order coming out. You just had Modern Warfare come out. Um, So, I mean, everything... Now, this year, granted, is less. it seems less packed, than past years, and I think that's just because you're in a, you're in a transition period for new consoles that are coming up. But I mean, you're still getting some hard hitters, you know, at the end of the year, like you always are going to do. Um, that I think are just it makes it hard to get into old games or replay things, you know, especially at this time of the year. And, and honestly, it's it's become more throughout the year as well because I think companies are finally realizing, you know. February is a good launch time because it's right after Christmas. And then you've got kind of the dead zone from February until almost June. And that used to be a complete – I mean it used to be – honestly, it used to be dead from about November, you know, October, November to October, November. And now you've got things littered throughout the, the year because you, you have so many different people re- releasing so many different things, which isn't a bad thing. But, I mean, it can – you've got to pick and choose exactly what you want to play in order to get everything in. And, you know, honestly, you you just can't. You're gonna end up missing things along the way. Um, So, you know, that's why I think things like Game Pass are great. You know, you can jump into uh, 200 plus games for 10 bucks a month. Um, You know, what PlayStation's trying to do with PlayStation Now, it's a good idea. Um, They're on their way to doing something. Um, I think Google Stadia is something that I think could have been really great, but it just, in order, in order for it to be a streaming service, I think it needs to be a flat monthly fee and you get a, to access to a library of games and then you can get others at a discount.
1: I mean, yeah, that's what Gamefly used to do. Yeah, when yeah, exactly. It was, hey, you pay this much a month and you, you get this one game to rent and when you're finished with it, send it back and send yeah. you another one. And here's the thing is, you talk about the rush of, oh, I got to play all these games, all these games are coming out, I got to come up with 60 bucks for this, 60 bucks for that, this, is is whatever. And, you know, Spoiler alert, if you haven't figured it out by now, we're both console gamers. We don't play PC, so we don't have the stream service where we True. can wait until the winter or summer sale when literally all these 120 Ultimate Edition, you know, all the DLC, all pre-order bonus games are just $0.99. Cents, yeah. Which is mind-boggling anyway because, you know, all video game prices are arbitrarily set and we've just accepted the fact that 60 bucks is perfectly fine. Um, but, honestly, I haven't bought very many games. I... I put games on my on my Christmas list for my wife, my mom, whoever, just when they're looking for something random. But unless it's a game that I'm 100% into, like I love the Assassin's Creed series, I love the Halo series, I'm going to go out and I'm going to yeah. buy those instantly myself. So if there's something that I'm 100% hooked into, that's going to be the thing that I go out and I spend money on. Everything else is just kind of, as I get to it, as I find it, if it's if it's in a Black Friday bin for 6 bucks, that's how I got the pre-sequel, the Borderlands Handsome Jack Collection, When I can play it, I got it for $7. That was three or four years ago, played through it all. And that's the thing is I throw myself into one game and I try to dedicate time to it because working a full 40-hour-a-week full-time job as an adult, married, man, I don't have the time to do all that and keep up with all the other things that I'm trying to follow, whether it's TV series, streaming games, you know, whoever. And, you know... Basically, that's my, been my mantra is I don't have the money for it, I don't have the time for it, so whenever I catch things super low and it's below 20 bucks, whether it's the Game of the Year edition, whether everybody's already played it out and the hype is gone, I just read into it. I don't care about spoilers anymore. I'll be flat, flat up straight about it, whether it's movies, TV, whatever. Spoilers don't get me. If I enjoy the thing that much, spoilers aren't going to harm it for me. It's going to be one of those things I'm going to be like, oh, that's really interesting and strange. I wonder how that's going to work out. When I go through and play the thing, and I'm like, oh, this is still super cool. I don't care. Um, but that's the thing: is going back and getting into a game like Witcher Three, which the controllers are super. Su- the controls are super intuitive, and you have to be into the system. and You have to basically play through that tutorial all over again, just to really feel like you're getting into it. There's so many different configurations for games, and and remembering how to run all those different systems at once is tiring. It's impossible. And honestly, that's a big deterrent to going back and finishing a lot of the games in my backlog that I don't have finished. So I have to go back and dedicate time to it, and then basically, when the money comes and the time is, for, time is right, and I'm like, okay, this is something that I haven't played that style of game in a while, i will pick this up and I'll give this a go, and everybody was really happy about it two, three years ago when it came out. And yeah, I'll be a little late to the party, but that's not going to decrease my joy in it, but... You know, yeah. I won't I won't be the guy who's able to sit there and talk about it at the water cooler like everybody else, but I'll still be able to, you know, keep up with it on streams and things like that and I'll learn what to do, what not to do and yeah. easier ways of getting about it. And I think you hit it perfectly. It on the depends head. on what's enjoyable for you. So if you enjoy keeping up with all the things right now and keeping into it, then that's worthwhile, but you know, it's there's a different game for every for every di- different person. Not everybody's into the shooters. Not everybody's into the RPGs. Sometimes you want something that's a little slower. It doesn't have to be the competitive, quick paced stuff. It's to each his own.
0: Yeah, well, well said. Um, and I think that's you know that's kind of the atmosphere of gaming right now is um, you just find things that you like, you get into it, you move on to the next thing, and if you miss a couple along the way, then that's what YouTube and Twitch and stuff is like that's for. So um, but yeah, so Outer Worlds. We got a little off topic, but Outer Worlds great game. Um, we we both we're both playing on Game Pass, correct? Yep. So I think even without Game Pass, it's still a sixty dollar buy in my book. I mean, uh, if you've got the money to afford it and you love games like that, it's it's an easy choice in my in my book. Um, you know, go out and buy Outer Worlds, uh, hundred hundred percent.
1: Yeah, it's some of the reviews are calling it a space western, and also the way the game and the the way the ship is laid out, the way the characters and cast are laid out. It's honestly something very similar to Bioware, you know, Mass Effect meets, it is Mass Effect meets Fallout, but, you know, they're calling it a western. It's something very similar to uh, probably like Firefly with the way that the cast is so diverse and strange and laid out and you're kind of running against everything. It's it's this Han Solo-y kind of adventure where you're there with a ragtag group of rebels and you have no idea what's going on, but hey, it's, it's well worth the money.
0: So, just curious, just because you brought it up. Um, What would you... What would you... If you wanted Starfield, say we get Starfield in a year, which I think is possible. Um, You know, I don't know what Starfield will look like. There's been plenty of rumors that it's going to have multiplayer. Um, But, I mean, I'll be honest. If you'd sat me down and asked me what I wanted Starfield to be like... Outer Worlds is it. And I don't think Starfield is going to reach those expectations, truthfully.
1: Outer Worlds is a good starting point, and what I would reference most game companies and most people who are interested in it, and basically if you want this massive sci-fi adventure where you basically get to play through this massive science RPG, honestly I'm going to recommend you to look at the hard hardback tabletop Pathfinder series run by Paizo, and it's basically a and d equivalent, System is very similar to three point five d d, um, and they have a brand new system where it is sci fi based. They just retooled the system to be sci fi, and it's called Starfinder instead of Pathfinder. And you get alien classes, robo stuff, and uh, you can run. You can see different people playing that. Um, I'm not sure if Glass Cannon is a series of streamers that they do a lot of uh, Pathfinder and tabletop games. But if you look through them, you look through Geek & Sundry, different websites like that that do the, the D&D and Pathfinder tabletop streaming services. If you find anybody that's streaming a Starfinder game, I think you'll find that that's probably... Granted, it's very similar in name, but you know, if you're looking at a, at a sci-fi RPG... What better way to look for inspiration than from the actual tabletop version?
0: Right, I think that's a good point. Um, So we're going to move on to something else right now. Um, We're going to talk about Death Stranding. Uh, That actually releases tomorrow on the eighth of November. Um, We talked about this briefly last week. Um, This is Kojima's first game coming off a separation with Konami. Um, You know, I've never played a Kojima game. Um, I've never played Metal Gear, um, you know, that's on kind of my list to go into, but, um, I mean, for the most part, everyone seems to praise him for what he does. Um, I've seen plenty of his games before, you know, I know his storytelling is great. I've seen the Silent Hills, um, you know, playable demo on the, on the PlayStation store that didn't end up working out His his collaboration with Guillermo del Toro, um, Guillermo del Toro makes a, a cameo in this game along with a bunch of other people. Um, from what I saw from reviews, trailers, um, it, it's getting clear what the game is. Uh, I think when we when we kind of talked about it last week, we didn't have a firm idea on what it was. But now I think you can kind of sit down and say there's, there's been this event um, which is referenced as the Death Stranding where... Yep.
1: Some post-apocalyptic future yes. universe such as every other game that's out there any kind of sci-fi or whatever it's all post-apocalyptic you got to rebuild you know yeah it's, the us is destroyed much yeah, like Fallout it's essentially and
0: going else. around connecting pockets of humanity you're essentially a post-apocalyptic mailman from what i've heard you're and a lot of it is fetch quests um which we talked about last week oh it is fetch quests yeah. the game that i mean is the best way
1: to persona. i'm
0: not a big fan of fetch quests but if the story is good.
1: And it's not a simple fetch quest either. The thing is, like, the most challenging part about it is... It's keeping almost, your balance. Well, keeping <laughs> a... Ba- not not just keeping your balance. I mean, yeah, that's key to it. Because you have to load your packages in yeah. a very unique way. Because physics are a huge deal in this. And that's part of the reason people love uh, Kajima so much. Is that... Uh, He's such a perfectionist when it comes to his games. He wants everything to be as realistic as possible. Yeah. So you get everything down to Norman Reedus's, you know, urination physics of how far can it go and how does the stream look and I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous, but that's just how Kojima is. Yeah. It's this wonderful, crazy, weird, you know, brainchild of his that we're walking through and almost with Kojima, it's almost like watching an artist paint through a video game. Because you may not fully understand what it is or really get into it, but the thing is, it's not just fetch quests. They're highly advanced fetch quests where it's basically like, okay, I've got this platformer because I have to climb up this and I have to climb through there and keep off my balance from doing this and I have to stay hydrated and go through all... Basically, yeah. if you go back to Fallout uh, 4 survival mode or any game where it's super intuitive... That you have to constantly be watching, you know, all your levels and keeping yourself in perfect condition. This is a very good post-apocalyptic survival simulator. If you're a postman.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, I think, like I said, if the story grips me and the story is really good. Now, I'm not gonna buy it on launch day. It'll probably end up being a Christmas gift um, from somebody, or I'll buy it on Black Friday if it's super cheap. Um, you know, it's gonna be something like that, but. From, from Just from what I've seen, um, it, it seems like it's more so like a, almost like a movie. It's more storytelling, which is what I love in games. Yeah. For the most part, if the story is really good in most games, as long as the gameplay is not broken as can be or absolutely repetitive, if that story keeps driving me to get from point A to point B to point C to point D, I'm going to keep going along that road. So I think as long as they can achieve that, that's good. Um, you're right. I think some of the stuff in this game is wacky as hell. Um, I know there's like p bombs and uh, the the baby. I, I don't think anybody has any idea what's up with the baby so far. I think
1: the best thing that we can say about this game is if you watch the release of the Rick and Morty uh, hype trailer that they put yes. out. Yes, that is the best way to really describe what this game is from everybody that's done a review of it, and pretty much how everybody understands it is just watch that clip. Whether you understand what Rick and Morty is or not, it doesn't matter because nobody understands what this game is either and that's part of the issue that a lot of people have with this and it's kind of what we got into before with Outer Worlds is that it's a very slow build story mostly because nothing is explained to you as you go you're kind of just dropped into the middle of it and unless you spend a whole lot of time in conversations and digging through lore and terminals and emails and text messages through old systems it takes a really long time for you to kind of intuitively figure things out. So if that's not your style of game, it's probably not for you. But if you're a diehard Kojima fan, if you're a big JRPG fan, where this is kind of a more typical trope, then this is totally going to be the thing for you.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think if you're a big Kojima fan, you're probably going to like the game. If you're big into JRPGs um, or just you know that Western-style culture, you're going to get into it a little bit more. Um, I'll be honest, I'm really excited to see some of the consumer reviews come through. Um, I kind of want to see what other people who, you know, weren't paid to, to review the game, essentially. Um, you now, it's not saying that I don't trust most reviewers. I would just like to see what average consumers who don't dig super deep into, you know, Kojima and things like that. I'd love to see someone like me or you kind of talk about it because, like I said, I've never played a Kojima game. I plan to play this game and i kind of want to see what that feels like first time. that's what that's who i want to hear from before i really dig deep into this and see what that kind of process is. i will to say. be sitting
1: anxiously on twitch and watching some playthroughs to see what what it's really like and to yeah. see if i can see how actually intuitive it is because there's a lot of people, a lot of different people that test and review games and a lot of different th- they all have different play styles so depending on who you read, what you, who you who you trust for your sources whether it's ign, kotaku, Polygon, uh, whoever, Nerdist, whatever, you know, you're going to get different people and a lot of them don't do reviews for more than the one company that they work for. So depending on, if your taste doesn't line up exactly with that person's, you may need to go check out some other, uh, some other streaming guys and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Watch a couple of streams, figure it out if it's for you, if you're kind of on the fence. That's what I'm going to be doing. I probably won't actually buy the game until it comes out much later like we talked about just because... Probably not gonna be my thing because I like to have things that have a little more instant narrative hook that I can really sink my teeth into and get into the lore of that universe, which it seems like it's gonna be a little hard for me to do on that. So I'll definitely watch a couple streams, see how it plays out, see what, see how actiony it is, because that's the thing is, fetch quests are great because that's ninety percent of what Bethesda did with Skyrim and everywhere else. It's here, take this thing, go there. But if your world's not active enough, you don't have enough stuff to fight, move around, sneak around, in between, you got to keep it interesting. So yeah, that's what I'm going to be looking forward to
0: when I watch the streams. Yeah, and I think you make a good point with the reviews and things like that. Um, you you kind of have to have the same viewpoint of, of who is reviewing the game. Um, there's just certain people you click with. Um, you, you know, go. my my recommendation is go out and find that person because, um, I mean, there's a million of them. Uh, you can find... If you could probably type in Death Stranding on YouTube tomorrow you'd probably find six reviews right at the top. Um, you just have to find that person that kind of aligns with your viewpoint, you know, likes the same things that you like, all that good stuff. Um, whether that be somebody on YouTube uh, who's not very big and, and has just started reviewing or somebody attached to a corporation like IGN or GameRadar or GameSpot, something like that. Um, it doesn't matter who you, who you get into it with and, and who you connect with well. Um, as long as you find that and, and kind of go off exactly what that is, um, I think that's the best thing for you, but yeah I think I think Death strange it looks interesting um, I'm excited to see if the story holds up um, if i if I hear good things about the story holding up um, it'll be something that I eventually get into um, hopefully i'm I'm praying because I haven't heard anything about it um, I hope it's not too long I want it to be outer Worlds-y um, in length 20 to Most forty the hours I've
1: seen is that it's a 50 hour minimum story.
0: Yeah, and, and we, that's
1: not including Psychonauts. That's fifty hours minimum story.
0: And see, Which, we talked last week. It's just this, this era and atmosphere of gaming is just. It just seems like everything is kind of the longer the better at this point. I mean, you look at Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It's a hundred plus hour game if you do everything. You know or yeah, just are completionist,
1: that. that's a great thing to do but the actual story can be done in probably 20 30 hours yeah exactly so I mean that, Tomb Raider was the same way most of the Tomb Raider games you can complete it in under 20 hours total yeah. I think I did the first two games I had 50 hours total and I had everything sunk into it
0: so I think that's you know, that's I mean, what we're kind of looking for. That's you, a
1: solid thing because if, the other thing is if you end up running something like The Division where the campaign's super short and there's nothing else to do and it's just vanilla game or Destiny where you can run through everything and unless you're really throwing into the multiplayer, if you're throwing into the raids, if you're throwing into all this other stuff, if your base gameplay, if you can complete everything in a day and the story is done, most people say that's not a good game. So you got to find this balance of what's too long, what's too yeah. short. And again, that goes back to... Each person's individual thing of, is this the kind of game that I want to devote time into? Because I love Forza racing games, but I give up every single time I hit that 30 lap, 40 lap, 50 lap thing. Because then I'm sitting there literally just holding my stick to the left. Letting yep. my A button drift to the right, and then I've got contro- controller stick drift for the next thirty some yeah. hours that I'm gaming because In there's nothing right. else to do. It's just so, finding
0: your finding your 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 hot spot essentially. I mean, I think mine is because I work, you know, a full job, things like that. You know, from what I've heard, Outer Worlds is going to be right up there, twenty five to forty hours. Um, you know, uh, I just got done playing Gears, uh, Gears Five, and I think that ran me about 15, 20. Um, and that was probably perfect. So, I mean, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I don't need something to be super long. Um, Yeah, is it is it awesome to get engrossed in those games and everything like that? Yes, absolutely. Do I have time to get engrossed into every single one of those games that come out? Hell no. It's well, just not feasible. Because, I mean,
1: look back at your save games. Like you said, Fallout 3 was the biggest thing. I know you easily have 200-some hours between all your save games for that. Yeah, so back, those in, things, back you, in high
0: school when I didn't have a job and stuff, yes, I sunk um, easily 200 hours in the Fallout 3. Easily. And, and,
1: and that's the thing is your tastes are going to shift. What you think you're going to be able to handle is going to shift based on what your priorities and things are. So here's the thing is – and this is the other thing i found too is because I used to be a big completionist. I'd go for all the achievements, all the things. Now I'm lucky if I finish through a story, because I love getting immersed in all these worlds, and in the yeah. lore, Witcher 3, I still haven't completed, I'm stuck on all the side quests, and... <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's nonsense, and like, when you played Black Flag, you couldn't even finish yeah. the story, because you were so busy doing side quest stuff. Yeah. So you gotta kind of find that balance of, okay, well, if this is gonna be a 50 hour plus game for just campaign alone, yes, it's gonna keep you involved, it's gonna keep you engrossed and stuff, but you got to see how much of those side quests and things like that are going to keep you from getting burnt out of... And that, and I think that's the real trick is, am I going to get burnt out because I want to put off the ending of this awesome story, I don't want to rush through it? What's that sweet spot of... And again, that's for every gamer to find, but it's also for the developers to to put it out there is, is this going to be a big enough story payoff at the end? Is this going to be a big, yeah. juicy enough story that I don't have to supplement it with an extra 30, 40 hours of side quests, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it can't be something to distract players from the storyline. It has to complement it in some way. And the same has to be said for the actual storyline. It has to be solid enough on its own that it can stand, but, you know. Yeah, I I think my biggest thing is... You can't burn yourself out one way or the other. Exactly. Because if you're playing for a 50-plus hour story game... My God, when is this ever going to end? I felt that way about some of the more recent Halo games because they take so long to get through. Yeah, my, my thing is I
0: get burned out because I don't want it to end. So I, I can't tell you how many games that I, I've fallen in love with and I try to just suck out as much as I can... And then I end up dropping it just because I, I've done way too much in a short amount of time and something else comes out or, you know, I've got something else to do and I'm nowhere close to the end because I've spent all my time kind of exploring things or, you know, doing every side quest I could find or anything like that. I mean, it just – you're right. It, it, it's burnout um, and you kind of have to control yourself on how you do that. Um, but – uh, hopefully Death Stranding it turns out to be good. Um, I'd like to see you know Hideo Kojima do something good after a separation from Konami. I think that'd be great. Um, but we're going to move on to the next topic, which is just going to be Star Wars, uh, kind of in general. We're going to talk about Fallen Order first, uh, and then we'll kind of get into some of the other stuff that's going on. Um, so Fallen Order releases in about a week. Um, they're not doing an EA Access trial for this. Um, I kind of figured they wouldn't because it's a story-based game. Um, so they don't want spoilers or anything like that. Um, I, that scares me because generally when they don't release, when, I know when they released Battlefront 2 on EA Access, uh, they only gave you access to the first two campaign missions. And that's because you probably could have completed the campaign in the EA Access trial. I don't think that's the case this time. Um I've heard good things. I think the campaign is going to be rather long. Um we've had people who have went out and played it for a, a couple of days. Um I think there was an event in London, there was an event in LA uh just recently. So we've had people go out and play the game. They've had 3 hour stints with it each time. And I've heard some people have stayed on the same planet that they've started on. Um we know that there's already going to be um uh Zepha, which is the this planet that people started on mostly. Uh, we know Kashyyyk's going to be a planet. We know Dathomir is going to be a planet, um, and then I would assume that Mygito and Umbaran, uh are going to be planets because they have two unlockable hilts for pregame or for pre-order. So I would be surprised if we don't. And plus, I'd be surprised if we don't get more than that. So I'm betting we're going to get anywhere between seven to eight. Actual planets, not what you start on or ones that you go to briefly for a mission or something like that, I would be surprised if we got any less than that um, so from what i've seen, it looks like it's it, it looks like it's a good mix of kind of everything um, from what I can tell the the combat is dark souls style combat, which isn't a bad thing because they have difficulty um, the exploration says. Uh, it, it's a platforming exploration it reminds a lot of people of uncharted i know you're a big fan of the uncharted series um and then it's also metroidvania like with their ability to kind of go back and check new places out when you get new abilities unlocked on different planets so you're always kind of shifting around the map um and, and visiting new things um so I'm, i mean i know you're not a i know you're not as nearly as, as much in a star wars as i am um but what do you think about Fallen Order, you know, is it something that you think you would be interested in at some point if you hear really good things about it? So
1: here's the thing, the internet's going to kill me, but I am not a huge Star Wars movie fan, but I have I have lo- I have loved Nathan up every single video game because I love good sci-fi and there's a big argument out there to be said and I'm not going to jump into that holiest Star Wars sci-fi Yeah, news, because even George Lucas said it's a space opera but whatever um that nuance suck at Trekkies I'm just kidding also Star Trek but <laughs> <laughs> uh n- no 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 I I, I, I like a good Action RPG and this looks like it'll be a good solid like I I played the Fortune Least, Fortune Least 2. I played all the Lego Star Wars games. I didn't play Knights of the Old Republic, but I did play the old um it's a Great Game. It was uh oh shoot, what was that? It was the Django Fett bounty hunter game bounty hunter. for original PlayStation. Yeah, PlayStation. so that
0: actually is on the PS4 and I do have a copy of it. And and I love it.
1: I played those, played the original Battlefront games. I love the video games. I love being able to interact with stories. The things where you get the more unique storylines that are a little bit different. They're not 100% canon. Definitely not anymore. Um, things where you get to branch out and explore the wackier, different yeah. kind of sides of the universe that you don't get. The the things that you don't get to see from from the movies yeah. which are are good and wonderful things, and I like them as movies. I'm just not the guy who's going to go out and camp camp on about them. I don't know all the trivia. I know a good chunk of trivia because that's what all my fans are all my friends are soaked up in. Uh, it's, just, it's just not my bag. i got too much time soaked up in Marvel I, and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and the other I completely nonsense. understand that. I mean, there's yeah. a lot
0: going on. Um, uh, so, But I like it. It's yeah. not that I don't
1: like it. I'm just not super I just, into yeah, it. I
0: know you're not nearly as into All it the names as that
1: you started off, listing off names and planets
0: and all these other characters, yeah, I don't know Yeah, any of that. and that's okay. <laughs> um, so a lot of them are new, actually. Uh, Zepho's a new planet. Um, the only returning planet. Well, actually, that's the only new planet on the list I gave you. So all the other ones are, are returning planets. Um, we still don't know anything about the story, really. Um, we we've gotten hints, um, but I mean, as of right now, from what I can tell you, I could not I could not tell you a, what Cal is going to to do from beginning to end, and w- what's what's going to take place and get you there. I know the Inquisitors are involved, which are kind of like Jedi hunters that are employed by Darth Vader. Um, they're kind of force sensitive. Kind of not, um, so we know they're involved. Uh, we know that Saw Gerrera is a part of this. Now, did you see Rogue One?
1: I've seen parts of it. Okay,
0: no. I so in my opinion, Rogue One is I think the one that you would enjoy the most, just because it's it's, it's kind of nitty gritty. It, it reminds me a lot of. I've been told um, it's more of
1: a military film with a Star Wars kind of.
0: Yes, similarly. Yes, it's been a war
1: film masquerading as a Star Wars. Yes, it reminds me a
0: lot of Firefly, and I think that's. I think part of that is because Alan Tudyuk's in it, um, but. Uh, it, it that's the one I think you would resonate most to. Um, but so Saw Gerrera is in that movie. That's when he made his live action debut. He made his original debut in Clone Wars. So yeah. that's a character that has gone from animation to live action, now to video games, comics. He's kind of all over the place at the moment.
1: Yeah. So that's the real question for a lot of these pe- a lot of people going forward: is is the story going to be canonical or not? I think that's going to be the big hit for most yes. people. Is Because with. Disney taking over and basically saying, okay, this is what's canon, this is not. And all There's a whole bunch of stuff that George Lucas used to say, okay, well, these are canon, these aren't. And right. Disney's going back and reclassifying it, a bunch of stuff that used to be no longer is.
0: So basically what done, when Disney has done, when Disney bought Star Wars back in, I think it was 2012, they wiped the slate clean completely. The only things at, in 2012 after Disney took over that were still canon were the six movies, the Clone Wars TV show. That's it. Everything they've released since then, except for a couple comics, I believe, have been canon. Yeah,
1: there's been a handful of tie-in
0: comics. Yeah, there's, so there's been a couple comics that like extend Legends, which is what they call everything that, that came before, basically 2012, other than the movies and the, and the TV show, um, that they consider canon. That they're non-canon, that they've extended on a little bit just to give the fans that, you know, that kind of taste. Everything else is canon. I'm Versio Story from Battlefront 2 has been canon all the time. Books with that have been canon. Uh, This story is going to be canon, Um, which is nice because, you know, that's... When Disney bought... When Disney had acquired Star Wars in 2012, it was a great opportunity for people like me who love Star Wars, but were... I was born in 93. I didn't really get a good opportunity to kind of jump in, and there's not really a good jumping in point after the movies. This... Complete reset gave me a perfect opportunity to kind of slide right in there and, and you know get the canon stuff down. Now I know a lot about legends, but I would say my I'm more knowledgeable on the canon stuff going on now just because it was so easy for me to jump in and and kind of hit the ground running with the first story Disney release and then kind of keep going on that.
1: Yeah, it'll it'll be a, it'll be a cool thing. Like I said, you know I'm I was born a year earlier than you, '92. Yeah. So I remember third fourth grade. This make a lot of people either feel super old or super young out there. Um, when I was in third grade, the movie that came out was Episode 3. <laughs> yeah. And that was the huge thing. And I was, like, super into it, you know. I it, think
0: everybody was back I was, then, just because it, it was coming back. And, 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 and that's the
1: thing is, I had never seen a Star Wars movie before I saw those trailers on television. And I was like, oh, man, this is super awesome. This is super cool. And whenever AMC was still around and playing all the weird, cool stuff, yeah. they would occasionally throw Star Wars movies and whatever on there. And I'd watch them. But the thing was, they... And this is the thing that I can appreciate about the movies now, and I can say that I'm more of a fan now than I used to be, is that I was like, "Oh man, this is great! Look at those graphics! Look at all this cool, weird fight stuff!" And you go back and you watch, you know, episodes four, five, and six, where you know everything's kind of it looks like it's a downgrade, but everything's really an upgrade. But it's just the limitations of technology at the time. But when you're in third grade, you're like, Man, oh yeah, I'm just not getting into that. Yeah, no, and, and I think now, and it you... turned me off, you know, because mostly because I I wasn't into it. I didn't get born into it, and you know, it wasn't the right. right. It wasn't the right timing for me and my interests. I didn't really take into the sci fi right. stuff until I was in really like the end of high school and into college.
0: Yeah, and I think when you go back and look at some of the movies, um... but the video
1: games right from the start, I right, loved all of it. Now because that fed into that episode three coolness that I saw right. that everybody that I was friends with was... That was the thing is it didn't matter... That Star Wars was the one oddball thing. It was the one nerdy thing that everybody was allowed to be nerdy about. Yeah, was I, the I think... Thing.
0: It was just because I think it's such a... That gap from... I mean, you didn't have anything from 83 to 99. I mean... So I think the thirst was just... Everybody had it. And I think it was the coolest thing to kind of go through... And kind of build with those again and now it's cool seeing people from like when i grew up who i mean think about it when we were in high school back in like the mid 2000s um late 2000s you had people you know hammering on on the on the uh, prequel trilogy saying it was terrible um you know the, the their writing is not good the story is not good and now that you have those kids who have grown up who grew up with those movies they they're adults now And I think the the status quo has kind of changed on on everything that George Lucas has done. It's accepted a lot more.
1: It's accepted a lot more, and everybody talks about how slow Mandalorian is and how it's all this crazy exposition that isn't really needed. Look at freaking Fellowship of the Rings, guys. Like, I'm the biggest Tolkien nerd. That's all that movie was, was giant exposition. Nothing really happened. They went around. They did a lot of talking.
0: So good evening, citizens of the world. This is episode two of the Between... The Joysticks podcast with your hosts Soul Man and L Z. What's
1: up, guys? Welcome back to episode two or episode one part two. It's been, you know. Yeah, happens. <laughs> we so, <turn> it
0: happens. <laughs> so um So we're we're continuing talking about Star Wars. Um you, you were comparing it to like Lord of the Rings, um, which I and, think is, you know, that's a fair comparison. Um y- especially with especially with the way the prequel goes. I mean, episode one is
1: It's Fellowship of the Rings. It's It's a lot of slow Slow. story building stuff. Yes. When you get like when everybody wants to rewatch the Lord of the Rings movies, nobody wants to rewatch Fellowship of the Ring. You want to start right with uh, the Two Towers because that's where all the action is. Fellowship of the Ring is the same thing. It's a lot of just here's your characters, here's their motivations, here's where everybody's getting together and we're we're setting off, we're getting ready for the journey. There's a whole lot of talking, a whole lot of conversation. That's what it is. It's three hours of conversation. And you honestly get more than that with the Phantom Menace, and it's like we talked about before. You know, everybody was allowed to be super nerdy about Star Wars, all the Lord of the Rings stuff. You know, that popped up in the '90s, but it's really only become super popular lately. And the Marvel stuff, and you know, it wasn't really till Big Bang Theory and everything else came out that it was super cool with Twitch streaming and yeah. Comic Con being a thing, and really the whole surgence of the MCU that it was cool to be a nerd. So the whole thing of you know. Star Wars not getting a pass, George Luke is not getting a pass for the prequel trilogy, specifically episode one being slow and not really making sense, is everybody else gets a chance to play with their universe and retool it and make it better and let everybody see yeah. the characters that they want them to see. Tolkien did all sorts of crazy stuff with his Lord of the Rings books and the Hobbit books, like characters like Bombadil are so ridiculous and crazy. You're not gonna see them in the movies. Of course not, and you're like, why in the world was that in the book? And it's because Tolkien didn't even know. If you go back and look at the notes from his son and the documentaries and things, he had no idea why he wrote Bombadil in there. Same reason for Jar Jar events. Yeah, it's, you know, it I doesn't think... matter what people think of the original prequels. It was George Lucas's story. He wanted it in there. He wanted it to play around in that world. And whether or not you care for it, it gives the universe shape and it helps push that story.
0: Yeah, and I think you're gonna have the same thing in about in about 10 years that you had with the prequel trilogy that you have with the sequels trilogy now there's a lot of people who don't like it there's a lot of people who are just anti disney but you're going to get these kids that are are in like middle school high school elementary school right now who are growing up with the sequel trilogy and they're going to when they hit teen to young adulthood these are the movies it,
1: that they're going to love most. Exactly,
0: much. yes. So, I mean, I, I think eventually everything's going to come full circle. Everything's going to be kind of universally renowned when it comes to the Skywalker tr- uh, saga. Um, now, I... We got a report earlier today that said uh, Bob Iger said that they're going to go on a hiatus a little bit. We know that the next Star Wars movie isn't scheduled until twenty twenty two.
1: And Kevin Feige is going to be taking over as yeah Kevin Feige
0: is doing uh, is doing a movie. um, They let go Benioff and Weiss, so we know their trilogy is either not happening anymore or they need to fill a role for that. And we really we know Ryan Johnson.
1: Why would the Game of Thrones guys get a chance to do it when they went on air and said, we winged everything in Game of Thrones. We have no idea yeah. what we're doing. We winged the whole nine seasons. I think oh, that's part of Or whatever it was. Um, and the thing is, like the biggest complaints that people, even diehard fans, brand new fans, no matter what the problem was, episodes four, five, and six... There was a story. There was a plan. Episodes one, two, three. whether you liked it or not, it was how Anakin grew up, yes. got to be Darth Vader. There was a plan. There was a story. Whether you liked it or not, it was there. The problem with episodes <laughs> 7, 8, and 9, there's no solid plan. There was no no anything. It was just, okay, here's what the first director chunked out. Yes. Now build off of it. So I,
0: I, I completely agree with so you. So why would
1: you go and hire two other My... guys to make a whole new trilogy when they were just winging nine seasons of one of the most successful television shows on the planet. Which, that's the thing. It was one of the most successful things on the planet. But so is Star Wars, and people are still getting super cranky about it.
0: My thing is, (laughs) um, so I'll touch on both of those. My my thing is, my biggest problem with the sequel trilogy right now is there did not seem to be a universal plan set in stone before they started doing anything. J.J. kind of did his thing. They got someone to write the next one. I think Ryan Johnson actually penned that script, and then they brought in someone else to. They brought in Colin Trevorrow essentially to try to finish it off. He obviously couldn't do it. And then they yeah, and then you bring JJ back in. So I almost wish that they would have had the hindsight to kind of bring JJ in to just do all three of them, just to kind of tidy it up with a neat little. Which that's
1: what's exciting about Feige taking over Star Wars is he's done a massive ten almost. 12 year thing with Marvel where we've got the most expansive cumulative story building experience in a, film universe ever done. Yeah. And successfully.
0: And I, think, I think that's great. I think him getting involved is something that, you know, if if he's got a passion for Star Wars, I I welcome it. Um just because it, I don't think that it's not that people haven't had a passion for Star Wars. JJ is one of the biggest Star Wars fans. Oh, absolutely. In the world and, and, the and that's been was, proven.
1: The issue was getting getting an airtight story that yes. continues it in a meaningful way and there was no way to do that without a
0: I agree. Something that is is just overall an overarching story kind of for seven, eight, nine, that should have been mapped out before any movies were even shot. I mean, you think about it, they bought it in twenty twelve. Force Awakens came out in twenty fifteen. It takes about two years to make a movie.
1: And here's here's the really great so thing. You you a had a year. Yeah. And here's the really, really great thing. A lot of people aren't gonna remember a lot of the old old heads in Star Wars world will. Marvel actually owns Star Wars comics. Yeah. You know, all the stuff that used to be super cool, canonical stuff, yeah. and some of the more zany or crazy stuff was owned by Marvel Comics, and now you've got the Marvel guys running the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and I think so, that's going to be cool. I it'll, mean... it'll be cool because the thing is, Disney's going to have to concede to some of the things that they're going to want to push from some of the cooler non-canonical stuff now that are gonna probably become re-canon in whatever is coming yeah
0: out. absolutely I think that's coming I think honestly um the the push to to bring more things to the big screen that you've seen in comics animation books that's coming they proved that with Darth Maul and Solo the second I saw him in Solo is the second that I I realized that okay Disney really doesn't I hate to say they don't care because they do but the, I mean, for the most part, that proved to me that they are okay with taking a risk because if you haven't seen Clone Wars or you haven't seen Rebels, you have no idea what the hell Darth Maul is doing in that movie. None at all. As far as people, my dad looked at me after the movie. My dad is fifty some years old. He's seen every Star Wars movie ever made. He's never seen any of the animation. He turns to me and goes, "What the hell is Darth Maul doing alive?" I said, "Dad, you got to watch the animated shows." Because I mean, and that's fine. And I think that's a great thing because I, I, I honestly hope we have Disney Plus coming out next week. Mandalorian launches with that. I so I am I don't I honestly think I'm more excited for Mandalorian than I am for Rise of Skywalker. It may just be because Mandalorian's first, but I think you just have there's in my opinion, because I don't think they're gonna do it with a Skywalker saga film, you just have more opportunity to see characters that you wouldn't generally see in live action on the small screen in the Mandalorian where there's going to be probably a little bit more exploration exploration. You're going to have uh, more character building cause it's, you know, you just have more time to do it. Then you are to in the rise of Skywalker where you have a very linear story. That's kind of, kind of, you know, it's going to come together. You're not going to get a chance to see characters like, uh, like Bosk, who I think has a good chance of showing up in the Mandalorian. You're not going to really get to see any bounty hunters. Um, you're not going to get to see characters that are mentioned in the books. Um, I think Rise of Skywalker is shaping up to be great. I've seen the trailer a million times. I think it looks amazing. Um, I think I, I like the fact that JJ is brought back because he did the first one. It gives a little bit of of symmetry with this you know, with the sequel trilogy overall. Um but I think the I think the Mandalorian, truthfully, if it goes well, and I think it will. I honestly think that's kind of the that's going to be the the near the near future of Star Wars. So before the before the next movie comes out in twenty twenty two, if it comes out at all, because they removed Benioff and Weiss, uh, and Ryan Johnson has I don't know if... I, I know his trilogy is still in production. I don't think they have any idea what they're doing with it yet. Um, so I think Mandalorian, the Kenobi series, Cassian Andor series. I think if those go well, and I think they are all are because. Kenobi and Mandalorian are two things that we've fans have kind of pushed for. Um, you know, Mandalorian. You may or may not see Boba Fett. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but people have, people want Kenobi. You're getting it. Um, I love the Cassian Andor idea because I think that pushes a. It's a time between 4 and 5, which is, you know, we beat that era to death, but I think it can tell a good story of how the resistance kind of came, or the the rebels kind of came together Um, in something we don't have. We don't have a whole lot of stories that are immediately after 3 in that really dark time when clones were still, you know, getting phased out and, you know, there were still some Jedi that were around, and, things like that.
1: And that's going to be something that's going to be interesting soon because you're going to get to see the Cassian in the Endor stuff, which is right as the war was first really... In its heyday, getting going. Yeah. We still don't know the specifics on the Ben Kenobi story, but we know it's going to be sometime between three and four.
0: I think they said it's, uh, I think someone said it's eight years after three. Okay. So, so
1: you've got something that happens before then, you've got something that happens, you have something that happens before three, something that happens after three. And then you've got the Mandalorian series, which we know is dealing with the legitimate fall of... Yeah, it's about... The first, it's about the fall of the First Order and everything right after this, the, the uh, stuff that really leads into the new the new trilogy. Yeah, so Mandalorian
0: up. takes place five years after episode six. Yep. Uh, it takes place four years after the Battle of Jakku, which is considered in canon the fall of the Empire. Yep. So you've got a lot of um imperial warlords out there you're i have to imagine we're going to see a lot of imperial remnants that are going to kind of be out and about um and and that's it we don't know how this is going to play into the story because the Mandalorian is confirmed to be a bounty hunter he's part of the bounty hunter guild um, yeah, we, we know are... we know Cara Dune is a uh old rebel shock trooper so she's got rebel uh calling she's got a rebel tattoo on her cheek um so i i don't know how they're going to play off you know if the Empire is going to be the legitimate villain in this, or they're going to kind of do something, you know, a little more black and white to start off. They said that this was
1: really... From what I've seen on the internet, and I'm they, I'm not saying Disney, I'm saying just the people just that, that I've been following on the internet are really looking at this being, well, he's the bounty hunter. And what do we know about the Mandalorians? Is they're, they have their own code. So they're basically the pirates of the Star Wars universe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're mercenaries. It's whoever pays them the most. But it's going to be their chance to really explore... That gray side of the universe, you know, it's not okay. Well, it's good versus evil. Agreed. It's, it's going to be the more gritty. How do I survive? How do I get paid? It's going to be that more yeah. down to earth thing. And that's the thing is with uh, the casting of uh, Ming Na Wen as yeah, I saw that that was as, interesting as an assassin character. And that's the thing is we've got you know uh, some sort of raider smuggler with former rebel ties. You got a bounty hunter that's the Mandalorian, and you have this assassin as the three main characters that we know about now, that just leads to more gray areas. Why is it an assassin? Why is it a smuggler? Why is it a bounty hunter? I mean, obviously we know the bounty hunter is the main character. Right. But if these are going to be the two other main characters that we're being introduced to as sort of sort of side protagonists, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see what kind of story they're, they're shaping up to do here. Yeah, and I think it's
0: going to be something completely different that we've never seen in animation or live action for that matter. Um, uh, so one more thing to talk about with Mandalorian real quick. Um, the report came out, it was, I think it was two weeks ago, that there was going to be a... Uh, they, the, the headline called it a major Star Wars spoiler within the first episode. Now, I don't consider it a spoiler unless it has something to do with episode 9. I don't think it'll have anything to do with episode 9. I think what the title meant was it's going to be a major revelation within the Star Wars universe. Um, so there's not a whole lot of things I can really think of. Um, I mean, uh, I could see maybe the rise of the first order is kind of explained a little bit. Uh, maybe where Snoke came from. I, I don't think that'll be it. Um, uh, my money, honestly, and I- I've kind of gone back and forth with this, uh, is that we'll finally find out what happened to Boba Fett. Uh, we know, uh, if you've read the books, you know that his armor made it out of the Sarlacc pit. Um, a man uh, named Cobb Vanth have has um, possession of that uh, on Tatooine, uh, which is where we all are assuming uh, is where the Mandalorian is kind of taking place on Tatooine. That's out in the Outer Rim, so that makes sense. It looks like a desert planet. Now it could be completely different. Disney's cranked out a couple desert planets since we've, you know, they've kind of taken control. Um, so that would be interesting. Um, I, I just find it odd that they have yet to name the Mandalorian. It, it's just incredibly odd to me. When you put a mask on a character and you don't name them, just like the second sister in, in Fallen Order. Everyone thinks the second sister is Beresofi from the Jedi Order. That makes sense. When you, and they've, they've gone on record saying they, they, that she isn't. People lie about things all the time. I just, it's very hard for me to believe, to not believe that Boba Fett's not under that armor at this point. If he is, I'll love it because he lived in Legends and I would like to see more of him in canon because we don't have a whole lot of Boba Fett in canon. The
1: cooler thing is, though, is that if they they follow it and they kind of go off my theory of Disney moving forward and making some of the non-canonical stuff more canon, one of the cooler stories was about Boba Fett's daughter who was actually trained by Boba, raised to do the Jedi stuff, and she knew how to wield lightsabers and things like that, but the whole premise of it was this 10-year-old girl going and telling a story about her dad to these other people, and then it turns out later on, through the comic book arc, that she actually herself becomes this bounty hunter who has personalized Boba's armor, and she goes on to become one of the better uh, Mandalorian mercs out there, but she's still going under the name Boba Fett. So even if they do debut that, I think it would be a super cool thing just to let Boba stay dead. I love Boba. He's one of my favorite characters. But honestly, he's not that great. Django is way better. That's, Don't I do mean, disagree with you there. But I mean, and, and again, that, that was the thing is that everybody's like, oh yeah, Boba, Boba's so cool. He's great. He's whatever. The reason Darth Vader said no disintegrations was because he didn't... It wasn't the... Jango... It wasn't that Boba was the best. Django was the best. He brought all the other bounty hunters in because they were the best bounty hunters that were out there. They were the most efficient bounty hunters out there. Now, anybody that has anything to do with Red Dead Online or anything else, you know, there are two ways to collect bounties, dead or alive. Boba did most of it dead. <laughs> so, that's the thing. Is like, Yeah, he's cooler because he's this rogue, gritty mercenary who most likely was going to bring him in with a big gunfight and bring him in dead. And that was one of the things that... From the expanded universe of the Christmas special and everything else that was out there, Boba became a cooler character. But in the actual original movies, yeah, he yes. had no reason to be that cool of a character. A- he was a bumbling kind of. He, he was kind of a letdown. Uh, letdown in of the character. six, absolutely. So it's better to let him be remembered for what he was, and like as cool as it would be for him to claw his way out of that Starlight pit, it's much yeah. cooler for me for it to be someone like his daughter or someone else that's out there pretending to be him. Or is carrying on his legacy, yeah. and actually ends up being a more efficient, more ruthless person because of that. Because she's trying to live up to that right. standard rather than just.
0: So I think that would be that would be cool. Um, I think the story you're referencing is actually Han's daughter. Um, Boba trains Han's daughter because her brother has fallen to the dark side. So he kind of gets involved with her a little bit. Um, now you may be correct. I'm not sure. Like I said, my legends knowledge there's, there's is not 110. percent I could be right combining there. the
1: two. There is one set of stories where it's Boba's daughter okay. that's relaying so, other tales, and there's I'm probably mixing the two. That, that, I mean, that I've may be something. Of, I've got a lot of comic book yeah, knowledge in my. Head I completely I can understand completely. the streams like get said, mixed every once in a while.
0: Legends is not my strong point. Um, I do know a little bit, but um, that I, I I mean I just think of it this way. I think Mandalorian is going to be. Um, I think it's going to be a success. I think it's going to be great. Uh, I think just the tone of the show, what's going on in it, um, is going to be amazing.
1: It's going to be um, really cool. And the, the great thing about shows compared to movies is instead of getting two, maybe three, two, six, you're getting six hours with those characters, is you're going to have a TV series where you're going to have anywhere between 13 and 26 hours with these characters yes. that you're not going to get with everybody else. Could you imagine if you had 26 hours of Han Solo?
0: yeah I mean just Han Solo I, I think that's great and, and I think yeah. that's the great thing about Disney Plus overall you know you're, you're gonna get you, you know we'll kind of shift our conversation here from Star Wars to Marvel um, but you're, you're gonna get a lot of time with a bunch of characters that you wouldn't really get a whole lot with we're gonna get a bunch of time with Loki which I'm really excited about we're gonna get a bunch of time with um, Falcon slash Falcon Captain America and Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier I mean I think that is the one I'm most excited for um but I'll be honest um i'm really I'm really pulled towards the WandaVision one the Loki one they're both going to be involved with Doctor Strange two I think that they're gonna be really interesting and um with the way they pull things together um I think what Marvel's doing right now is a little unprecedented um they've they've done a great job with their movies you've got eleven or eleven years of of movie making. Culminated in the end game, and, and I mean, I don't think you could have tied that bow off any, any better.
1: No, it, it was done really well. It was executed really, really well. And again, this is something that they had planned. And this is one thing that people have to keep in mind. The guys at Marvel had this planned in the '90s when they started releasing in '99 and into 2000. Before the Winter Soldier was even a character thought up by Brent. Ed, Ed Brubaker in, in the early thousands 2001 2002 2003 when the, the character first debuted um, they initially wrote the Ultimates universe as this darker more gritty universe it was, it was kind of their, their gimmick to be a little more comparable to DC at the time because they, Marvel was kind of waning and, and DC was really picking up from the, the popularity of their 90s uh, cartoon universe of Justice League and Batman the Animated Series and things like that um, but when they rewrote that character of Nick Fury as this black character, instead of the typical, you know, white Nick Fury with the kind of, you know, Mr. Fantastic streak of white in his hair, it was this black Samuel L. Jackson knockoff character. And they deliberately did that in an effort to get Samuel L. Jackson entered, interested in this idea so that they could start building these movies, these universes, because... Spider Man was doing well at Sony. The Blade trilogy, which came before Spider Man, was the first successful Spider or the first successful franchise of superhero movies that we'd seen. Which most people don't even remember Blade, but they were the first movie was fantastic. Don't necessarily need to watch the other two, but the first one was really good.
0: (laughs) I think that's something people are really excited to come back to. Um, And
1: and that's the thing is that they've been planning this since the nineties. So even though it's been an eleven year movie cycle it's been 20 years since they've started really inceptioning this because when sam jackson learned about his likeness being used in those comics the first thing he did wasn't sue marvel it was if you all ever turn these into movies i want in on this and when you got an a-list actor like sam jackson in the early thousands signing on to do something like this and building a universe which was really just kind of hit or miss ramshackle together through the first iron man movie nobody thought it was going to be as great as it was but that was really kind of tacked onto the fact that this giant nerd awakening was happening when sci-fi and D&D and video games and everything, just the technology and the timing was right, whereas it wasn't really, because uh, it was right in 2006, 2008, right when we were in middle school, because it, re- it really, really was when we were in like 7th, 8th grade. 2008. And when came out. 2008 would have been and,
0: uh, our freshman year in high school. And
1: even as early as 2000, 2001, it wasn't there. Yeah. But it, but they could see what was on the horizon, so this is really just gonna be something while the accomplishment was there now, the real big question is, are we gonna follow up on it? And, you know everybody's kinda of talking about you know the superhero uh withdrawals with whether it becoming a stale palette of this and that, you know origin stories there's only so much you can do with origin stories. The template is there for a reason because you have to know who the character is and yeah, absolutely. we get some different changes and things like that where you'll get team-up films like what we saw with Civil War introducing Black Panther and, and Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Yeah. but not really diving into their backstories in depth, and then you go back and you get a movie where it kind of touches on some of that stuff and it encourages them to learn more about that character, but they can really move forward with those characters so you don't have to have a Captain Marvel standalone film where you go back and explore her origin unless it really expands that universe which is what we're going to get to see with, hopefully, Sword, which is the other side of S.H.I.E.L.D., with intergalactic stuff that is kind of teased through some of the more recent movies. And I
0: think your point to the origin stories, I think uh, think Disney Plus will really allow that to grow a little bit more because I think it'll be much easier to do that in episode format. So if you have, you know, you've got... Falcon and Winter Soldier that's going to be eight episodes Now neither of them I don't think need an origin story really we know enough about them and what's going on we kind of got Winter Soldier's we, origin through the chapter we got Winter Soldier's
1: origin story we got Sam's through for the most part Winter yeah. Soldier as well because that, that's really all there was to it he was a paratrooper he had the wings it yep. was part of an experimental thing and he still managed to get a hold of it when he was out that's yeah. pretty much it. That's and Sam's origin. It's Wanda, him coming back Wanda in the fight to help help Captain America. We have
0: achieve. we have theirs. Um, Loki's for the most part came came out through Thor. I think the ones that you can really get origin stories out of are going to be possibly Hawkeye when you if you involve Kate Bishop in the right way. Um, I well, think you'll Kate definitely is get gonna it. Be The new Hawkeye. We're not right. We're
1: not going to get Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye. No, 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 no brain. way. And honestly, think, I'm perfectly good not having that because if you read the comics, regardless of what you think of Hawkeye, there's only one real there's only one real thing, which is he was a circus kid like Dick Grayson was. I think that's that's not going to be something that flies in the MCU where they're going with this more realistic right. kind of background. It's I think we'll that. get
0: a little bit more of Clint's backstory in the Black Widow movie, not a ton because we know that that's going to take place if between even, Infinity it, War and. Uh,
1: even if we even get the Hawkeye series, because with all the allegations around him, right? Her, well, we've heard that now. that's gonna
0: be, we've heard that's gonna be continued. <laughs> that there's not any issues with that. So as of now, they're doing it. Um, but I think the ones that you're gonna get, you're gonna get um, origin stories with, are Ms. Marvel, because she's a newer character. Period. Um, Kamala Khan is what 2012, she's um, somewhere in that area,
1: somewhere around there. And yeah, she's a newer character, and it'll be really interesting to see what they do with her because. They Marvel's even made her with the new Crystal Dynamics Square Enix game. Yeah, she's a big she's, part of that. She's the linchpin to the storyline. Like she's a playable character. She's central to the story, just the same as Iron Man, Captain America. all, yeah. all, all your signature Avengers are going to be, uh, and and they're focusing on her, which she's a relatively new new character.
0: Um, yeah, I know people were really excited. She's only been around for a
1: handful it. of years, uh, but it's really kind of cool because she's kind of this uh peter parker ish kind of uh needing mentored character she's essentially a fangirl of the event yeah. and then she finds out that she gets superpowers and now it's just this whole kind of peter parker thing of okay well instead of just being your neighbor friendly neighborhood superhero i can really make a difference worldwide and that's kind of her thing whereas spider-man knows that he's better off being the local hero she aspires to be something greater, which... Yeah, and I think that's
0: cool that, that you know the Marvel execs are kind of getting that kind of character involved. I think there was a big want for her. I know on social media when I was kind of looking and when that series was announced, I think everyone kind of realized that, okay, with Disney+, Plus. Marvel can bring really whoever they want into this universe. They've
1: done a lot of cool things, and they've done a lot of stuff with some B-list characters. And I say B-list just because you're not going to see a lot of War Machine stuff on his own. Which Yeah. I mean, Rhodey's a great character. You know, uh, Don Cheadle's an excellent actor. Yeah, yeah. Just to see him get something on his own would be amazing, but he kind of has to be a, a paired-up character the same way that you would have... Uh, Bucky or like that that's one thing that I think would be a super cool thing since we're getting the Black Widow movie I would love to go back and see some of that uh Natasha and uh Bucky still on the Russian side yeah that'd be interesting Marvel pre story stuff because um, she knew it you go back and you watch the scene she's like seriously you don't remember me at all and it's one of those kind of things you're like Oh yeah, that's right because she has this super dark right. past, uh, which we're really not going to get too much into. I'm not hoping we get into that with the uh, her prequel film that takes place during the uh, during the Civil War period. Yes, uh, um,
0: and and I think and, and like you said, B-list characters. I think that's the cool thing. I think you, you know you're seeing Ms. Marvel, who's who's not necessarily a B-list character, but sh- she's growing in popularity. But she's definitely not like your Captain America, your Iron Man, your Hulk. Um, you're getting She-Hulk. If you'd have told me we were getting a She-Hulk series eleven or uh, eleven years ago, when, uh, when the first Iron Man movie came out, I'd have called you crazy. God, that's exciting, and it's I just mean, be- it's
1: because she's such a different character. Like it's one of those things that yeah. you wouldn't expect to get. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, at, so at this point, I'm I'm praying that this leads to to um, you know crazier things like that. Like I'm a big, so my favorite superhero. Um, and he's a one-off weird one. Is penance? I love the story. I love Robbie Baldwin's kind of fall and then kind of climb back up. Um, in the Civil War, you know, there was a New Warriors show that was gonna happen and they canned it. So I'm kind of hoping that still exists and they bring that to Disney Plus because if we get something like that, I would lose my mind. If I got any kind of live action penance, speedball, anything, I'd be pretty happy. Um, so it's it's cool because I think Disney Plus is gonna give people like me who have that who have those weird you know one off like not even B list it's like D list characters yeah and a chance and
1: we've got the we got the Disney Plus series What If which is all gonna be animated and it's gonna be spin-offs of you know like one of the first things that they're gonna do the first little series of episodes is gonna be What If Piggy Carter. Was part of the Captain America yeah I think rebirth system and she that has got becomes, a lot of she potential. becomes like Captain Britain essentially and it's a really cool suit if you look up the outfit uh, the, the the artwork and stuff like that but we're gonna get some really cool stuff with that um, uh, the What If series is gonna be fantastic because it's just it's gonna play on a lot of stuff that's already occurred in the MCU like what if this one thing was done different or something else completely but even the What If comics were fantastic because yeah. it was stuff like what if Wolverine was in charge of Shield, or what if Wolverine was a vampire? Just weird, crazy stuff uh, like that. Yeah,
0: I think Disney Plus is. Strange time time games. You know, I've said it a couple times already, but it just opens up so many gateways to kind of do the with things that the you really couldn't do with like, cinema.
1: The fact that Guardians of the Galaxy became such a huge giant thing is. Ridiculous because that was one of the most least profitable. Yeah, uh, comic I, book series that Marvel had. I
0: actually remember talking to um, like the, the,
1: the, and the whole lineup that they gave: Star Lord, Rocket yeah. Raccoon, Groot, and Gamora, Drax the Destroyer. These are all D-list characters, most of which absolutely don't even really have their own comic book runs by the time that the movie was coming out. Yeah, I remember having <laughs> a. They just into in other bigger stories.
0: I remember having a conversation with one of my friends. Um, actually, one of my dad's friends. I, I was he lived in town at the time, and I was helping him out. Uh, he's a big comic guy. He had those white comic boxes stacked high in his in his basement, um, and we were having a conversation. And this was right before the first Guardians came out, so this was like 2012, 2011. I just graduated high school, um, and I remember telling him that the next movie was Guardians of the Galaxy, and he looked at me like I had four heads. So, you know, it shows that they, they could take risks with cinema once they got there. Because, I mean, truthfully, the, Guardi- the first Guardians movie is one of the better Marvel movies ever created. Yep. And I think that's just because it's so off the wall. Those characters those characters are like if me and you got superpowers and went off in an adventure in space. I mean, that's what that is, essentially. Yeah, And it's great. I think it's awesome. So, I, like I said, I think cinema gave you a little bit of leeway to kind of go with the Guardians. And, but, I mean, yeah, the reason the Guardians were brought in is because it's that cosmic aspect it allows you to bring the Kree in and Thanos in and yep. things like they're, that they're expanding the universe in every single
1: possible way they can Disney Plus is going to be another great way of doing that we're going to get, to get more time with fan favorites from the movie universe we're going to get brand new characters like you said with She-Hulk and probably Squirrel Girl which god that'll be amazing um, there's possible talk about all the Netflix shows getting moved over with possible ratings changes for certain ones who knows how that's going to work out as long as we keep the casting exactly the same, I will be perfectly happy. Well, we with that. know that
0: Deadpool is going to stay on Hulu. That That's came out. So those Deadpool movies is are going to stay on Hulu. Deadpool's
1: going to stay on Hulu. Deadpool's going to keep its R rating because it's a theatrical release. Things yes. are going to be a little different and they're going to be a little more difficult we'll to do. We'll see how that goes I'm, with Disney Plus. I'm curious to see if instead of going to Disney Plus, if the Marvel Netflix shows go to Hulu instead of Disney Plus just because Punisher. Keeping its adult rating, agreed, and Daredevil yeah, keeping can't. its adult rating is going to be a lot more difficult to do on a family-friendly streaming service yes. like Disney Plus.
0: I think Daredevil could survive it. I think that's one that you could kind of twist and keep it more. Daredevil, teen. you
1: could do, more but Punisher
0: which, definitely not.
1: You could do it more, more teen, teen-based. Uh, Punisher, absolutely not. It would, it would be the same detriment to the character. That you would give with Deadpool. Yeah. Which honestly. Deadpool can survive a PG-13 rating. We saw that with uh, the, yeah, uh, absolutely. The, yeah, 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 the I mean, savage it, cut. It can. I mean, um, it can be done. It can just... be done well. Because the thing is, PG-13 has a very wide range, and you can push that to its absolute maximum, and it won't be as gratuitously gory, and it won't be as much of a curse fest. No, but honestly, if you watch a lot of the, like the, uh, oh, what's the, uh, a lot of the Disney. Cartoon series like Disney Extreme and whatever else. Uh, They've got all sorts of adventure cartoon series, which even PG Deadpool in cartoon form for a kids' television show. Pushes those boundaries boundaries pretty well because the main thing about Deadpool is he's fourth wall breaking and he brings that kind of weird zany self awareness and that's the thing that makes him him not the gratuitous gore and the and the swearing and stuff that's what makes Rob, Ryan Reynolds such a great Deadpool and that's what makes his character unique and that's why we love him. Yeah, but it's not necessary to anybody make can get it, up there making an adorable thing. Anybody
0: can get up there and curse seven or eight times in front of the camera and chop six guys' arms off, but I think it's just pretty much universally it's like Hugh Jackman with Wolverine yeah it's about RDJ with with Iron Man I mean Ron Reynolds is gonna be Deadpool yeah absolutely for a long long time absolutely
1: and that's the thing that's the other thing is that Disney and Kevin Feige they're so good at casting they've done a lot with relatively unknown or underutilized actors uh, whether it's from TV or film or whatever, because we got Chris Pratt from friggin' Parks and Rec of all places. Yeah. And a bunch of other smaller stuff to Robert Downey Jr. getting a whole new renaissance from being virtually untouchable, getting his act cleaned up, and then coming to be one of the highest-rated guys out there. Then you've got, I mean, Eternals, the new movie that's coming yeah. out about all of Thanos's cousins, essentially, is nothing but A-list actors. I mean, we we got Michael Douglas on roster, we got Josh Brolin. We had freaking Robert Redford as a villain. One of Hollywood's top men. I You've think got, uh, what is it? Penelope Cruz, Selma Hayek, Robert Madden, all all sorts of like popular nameless guys. Angelina Jolie. People who would never even be interested in doing films like this were expanding out into all this crazy stuff, and it, it's going to be crazy to see what they do with unknown characters, and. What they were able to do with relatively unknown actors, and now what we're going to we're, we're going to get to see with people who literally fill box offices just because their name is on some crappy indie film is going to be part of this massive massive stuff. Yeah,
0: I think I think the it's only going to get better. yeah so I think your I think your point to a less actors coming in, um, you know, your Robert Redford's people like that. Uh, it, it's the pop culture, you know, kind of seeping in that everyone wants to kind of be a part of this. Uh, and you don't you don't want to miss it. So I mean, even guys like I mean, you had John C. Riley who was in uh, the the Guardians movie. I mean, you get guys. Um, you know, Matthew McConaughey ended up passing up a part, but he thought about it hard. I, I think I think in the end, you're gonna get. It's gonna it's gonna come close to the point where you almost have everybody who's kind of involved in a Marvel film. Uh, And and that's not a bad thing. Um, I I think, you know, they want to build this universe. And, I mean, in order to build this universe, you need constant, you you know, you're going to need new bodies eventually. So, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, I I love it. Um, But I agree with you. This is a very important, uh, you know, this is a very important time for Marvel Studios. They kind of have to prove that they can make good content off of these other, you know, heroes and things. I think Kevin Feige kind of knows that. Um and then, I mean if Eternals goes well, the Black Widow movie goes well. Um I, I think I think um the uh Falcon and Winter Soldier series and Loki are, are locks to be good. Same thing with WandaVision. Any of those established characters, I think those Disney Plus shows are gonna be great. Um I think they need to hit hit a, a home run with the kind of unknown ones though to kind of prove that, you know, it doesn't matter who we put up there, you know, we tell good stories.
1: Yeah and 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 that's, that's the thing and that you're not going to get that is that everybody's like all oh, the char- the the villains are all just you know just a mirror reflection of uh, of the heroes well that that can also be said sort of a lot of DC movies especially the ones that they've been releasing so yes the char- the villains may be a little more uh they may be a little more gritty, they may be a little more interesting on the DC side and that's Time-tested. I'm not going to kill you on that. DC has better villains. I will not lie to you on that. I, I think
0: we can both agree to that.
1: But Marvel does have the better stories when it comes to the heroes. Because everybody on DC's roster, they're all basically gods. And they're all intended to be written that way. The Marvel heroes have flaws that you just don't get with DC characters. They're more relatable. They're more interesting. They're more human. Which is why people gravitate towards those stories more and more and more. Because, yes, your DC characters may be more interesting, they're more menacing, they have crazier plans. And it really affects the hero in a more dramatic way. But a lot of the major struggle and a lot of the major interesting stuff with the MCU in particular is... The villains aren't the only antagonists to the heroes. A lot of the times they're dealing with their own stuff. You get Iron Man 3 and... Honestly, a lot of the stuff since the first Avengers movie, all of Tony Stark's story is not just him fighting bad guys. It's him fighting himself, his own anxiety, his PTSD. Thor has the same thing with when he goes into a deep, deep depression at the end of Ragnarok because everything's just gone. And then the same, it's compiled on top of that because he's lost everything at the end of uh, Infinity War that he blows up to a thousand pounds, and you know.
0: Yeah, so I I think you know we all are all kind of on the same page. I think Marvel's done a great job with storytelling. Um, I don't think that's going to stop with Kevin Feige kind of in control. No. um They are they have proven that they are the top dogs in superhero storytelling. Um, really in storytelling overall. I mean, I there are there are no other franchises that span this long, this successfully over so many years, so many movies
1: yeah a lot of people are trying, and usually they, they flop after the fourth or fifth film they yeah. fall stale they fall flat the writing is very I mean, different or it takes a different story turn yeah Marvel that, has a fall off the has a
0: formula and they're, they're sticking with it um, and I think that's a good thing I think that it's good that they're kind of incorporating some new stuff through Disney Plus but for the most part I think everything is going to be um, very similar um, so before we wrap up here um, what, you, what are you looking forward to most um, Marvel wise through Disney Plus honestly i
1: am just super excited to see ghost rider and blade when it finally comes out and i know that's not going to happen until phase five but that's going to be coming they also talked about you know we're going to get to we're going to get a redo with the inhuman series uh which came out on hulu and we're going to re it was originally going to be a movie they scrapped it turned yeah. it into a series the series didn't do well because it wasn't directed properly um it suffered from the same issues that the ben affleck daredevil movie did the casting and the acting was phenomenal but it just had a crap script and directing so if that gets retooled and gets redone in a movie really well it's gonna be fantastic Speaking of Fantastic, Fantastic Four is going to be amazing. Not because I'm excited that the Fantastic Four are coming, but because we're going to get Doctor Doom. And Doctor Doom is going to be the beginning of everybody that's had problems with Marvel's villain problems. Because Doctor Doom will start the Masters of Evil. That will be basically Evil Avengers. It's going to be all the A-listers from the villains that Doctor Doom is going to collaborate yeah. and it's going to create all these overarching villain stories that disney does it right and it's gonna it's gonna fix that villain problem
0: yeah i think this is the, the mastermind
1: box... that really helps fund and benefit all these other characters and it's going to be it's going to be really really something especially with spider-man coming back getting norman osborne and all those rogue gallery characters and hopefully getting venom uh shoehorned into the mcu i'm just really excited to see how things yeah. move forward. Yeah, yeah, so I think
0: the Fox acquisition is really the building point now. I think um, you're obviously not going to see anything immediately, just because it takes time to get those stories together. Uh, yeah. I'm sure they've been thinking about it, but it's not something that they could super plan on until it'll be it's Phase finished. Five stuff. Yeah, absolutely. At, at uh, But tomorrow, I think it just tomorrow. opens up. It opens up so many gates. Um, but I, I agree with you. I, I'm really excited for that stuff. I'd say um, the thing I'm most excited for uh, right off the bat, though, I think Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be cool. I, I'm a big fan of Falcon. Um, uh, Anthony Mackie has really become that character for me and I think he, I already really like him as an actor so I think he is uh, he's just been one of the one of the cooler MCU characters in my mind um, so I, I just think uh, I think that series is going to go off really well but um
1: I'm Any other... it's, it's going to be it's going to be my bad boys 3 before bad boys 3 there we go <laughs> <laughs> because um, that's the dynamic those two characters have, have yeah. through the MCU is they're bas- it's going to be a buddy cop film yeah I think so I, I, mean, I think they mostly kind of, hate each other that's, that's, that's kind of
0: how they've come together which is nice they you know they kind of bond through Captain America and now that he's gone we'll see how they kind of deal with that so um, and it'll be cool seeing Sam kind of morph into the new Cap um, I'm excited for that but um any other closing thoughts on anything um i know we've talked about a lot but yeah you know i think we covered everything pretty well.
1: well hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to our ramblings um we know they can get a little offbeat and a little off kilter and it's mostly just us sharing our thoughts on what we like and what we like to do so we hope you come back tell your friends uh maybe they'll find the rants enjoyable or uh familiar we're gonna try to keep doing things the way we've been doing getting some stuff that's Relevant in both video games, either upcoming or out recently, that we've either playing, been trying to play, or watched other play others play, and just kind of giving our take on it. Just doing the same yeah. thing with Marvel news, Star Wars news, and just general stuff in between. Might venture out venture out into some other topics as well. Yeah, anything
0: that's popular comes in. I mean, we're gonna get into some things, um, some really cool things here in the future. Um, you know, obviously this is a little bit more dry. Um, we're eventually gonna get a little more polished up, clean some things up. But hopefully, you know, we build that that audience and uh, you guys stick around for a while.
1: Yeah, it's only episode two. We'll definitely get better because we can't get worse.
0: Yeah, exactly. But um, you guys have a wonderful night. Enjoy, and we will see you again next time.
1: Yep. Keep between the joysticks.